unofficial Bengals podcast. Welcome to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, we have a jam-packed episode for you today. We're going to talk about the mandatories. We're going to talk about the roster. We're going to talk about the Joe Burrow press conference. And we're also going to have a special guest, West Side Who Day. So stay tuned for that as well. The unofficial Bengals podcast is brought to you by the Zedia Network. Bengals headlines. Summer is here and the world is getting back to normal and we all know what happens midsummer. It all begins. Bengals football is coming, folks. Get ready. So first piece of news, all the rookies have signed, which is such a good thing. In the old days before they changed it and had the the tiered salaries for rookies, it was a nightmare. You would have first-round quarterbacks that you wouldn't sign until a week before camp started. You'd have the holdouts. They eliminated that. So the NFL did right by having a slotted system. And it's fair. You know, back in the old days, I mean, Sam Bradford came in and he was making like $50 million right off the bat. And you think about the players that had put in years of work that weren't even near that pay scale. So it kind of made things fair. It eliminated the holdouts. It was just better for the NFL that they have these rookie slotted positions. And as a result, as I said before, everyone signed. So the other piece of news is we had mandatory minicamp from the 15th through the 17th. And the big story that came out of that was Coach Taylor decided to cancel the last two practices, I guess based on the fact that we had such good attendance at voluntaries. And maybe he wanted to you know, gain the player's favor, say I'm on your side, maybe protect against injuries. It definitely has its, its merits and its benefits to cancel those two practices. But to play devil's advocate... We had buy-in from the players. It wasn't a bunch of disgruntled veterans who didn't want to be there. You know, everybody wanted to be there. I think you kind of take advantage of that and get those extra three practices. Because the way we looked at it, you know, we had perfect attendance for those 10 practices. Maybe the Steelers, Ravens, Browns didn't. So we had a little jump up on them. But by giving away two of these mandatories, we kind of gave two of those practices back to them. I know that's really nitpicking, but... You had the buy-in, you have a young team, no one would have minded doing those two practices. It seemed like everybody really wanted to because of the voluntary attendance. I would have done all three practices, and now you would have had 13 full team practices where your competition maybe had three. So one of the highlights of voluntaries and the mandatory practice was the seven-on-sevens. I heard that the ball hit the ground like once, and you know, seven-on-sevens is a lot easier than having a pass rush and pressing at the line, all that stuff. So, you know, I get it that it's easier. But the fact that the ball hit the ground once, that's a very good thing. And this wide receiver group is just getting really exciting to think about. You know, they were talking about how smooth Chase was and that he's already learning the playbook well. And, you know, you're going to look at him as an elite talent with this smoothness, this intelligence on the field, and this desire to be prepared. Those are all excellent ingredients to make a superstar contributor for this team. So I'm very excited at the early returns from Chase, and let's just keep it going through the season. And then T. Higgins comes in basically the same weight as he was last year, but much more chiseled. And you like the fact that he's taking his body seriously and wants to improve. He had a great rookie season. He could have sat on that and said, you know, heal the hamstring and I'm going to have a great sophomore year. But instead, he wanted to get better, just like Joe Burrow, improving the arm strength. T. Higgins, improving what he maybe he felt he needed a little more body strength to break more tackles or to break against press coverage. Whatever the reasons are, I like the fact that he made that dedication. Now, the only thing that concerns me is 
sometimes when you put on that much muscle, you lose flexibility and you're a little more prone to injury. And then, of course, you have Tyler Boyd there. They didn't really talk about him much, but you know he's going to be contributing like mad this year. And when you think about it, the yards after catch for all three of these guys, Chase is going to be like a running back with the ball in his hands. We've seen Boyd with the will that he has just break tackles and not an easy guy to bring down in the open field. And then you have T. Higgins, who went from a little more of an A.J. Green body style to a little bit bigger, stronger. He's not going to be an easy one-on-one tackle out there either. And then the last piece of news is for the Ring of Honor, they're going to announce it in late July, so we're going to have two new Bengals in there. I'm kind of thinking it's going to be Ken Riley, Ken Anderson, but it could be anybody. There's a lot of guys that deserve that. And the good part about it is they're going to announce it during that primetime Jaguars game. That's when they're going to have the ceremony. So that's pretty cool. You know, you got Burrow versus Lawrence. You got primetime. You got two teams looking to rebuild and get to the top again. And now you're going to honor your great players during that game. That's going to be a great night. Very good decision on the Bengals' part. They're doing a lot of things right as far as honoring their old players, and and that's the way you should be doing things in the NFL. All right, let's move on to some personnel things. Hakeem Adeniji out for the year with a pectoral. Now, you always know this is going to happen during the football season. The guys that you go in with, you know, there's going to be a couple big names that you think are going to be contributors, and then they're gone for the year. It just happens to every team. It's the nature of the game. It's a shame that he went down so early, comes in last year, sixth round, not highly touted out of college, so having to work his way up the charts, starting on the offensive line for four games, and had his, had his ups, had his downs. Now coming into year two, looking to make a statement, looking to maybe battle for that guard position or that number three tackle position. You know, the opportunity was there for him on the roster. Now you go down for a whole year it's tough for the career. I mean, I'm not saying this is career-ending by any stretch. He could obviously come back, but it's just it's a major setback. I feel bad for the guy. He's a good person, and I thought that he was going to be you know, a player on this roster for several years, whether a backup or forcing his way into the starting lineup. But now, you know, I'm a little bit worried. That's the way the game goes. You can never predict who's going to do what. Like, we all know the Greg Cook story for the Bengals, right? Coming out was going to be, you know, the next great quarterback. And, you know, a year later, he's basically out of football. So let's hope that that doesn't go that way for Adenogy, but still a rough break for a young player. And I'm wondering if that contributed to Coach Taylor canceling those two extra mandatory minicamp practices. Maybe the Adenogy injury scared him. He's like, I don't want to have too many injuries in June. And, you know, let's, let's wait till the bullets start flying. At least there's only one player that got hurt because, as I said, it's going to happen all year long. There's going to be people that go down. So right now we're going to go into training camp with looking like only one player injured. So that's that's good news in itself. And then the other interesting personnel move is they move Puka Williams to wide receiver. He's going to be more of a gadget guy, a return guy, you know, if he makes the roster. And when they picked him up I saw his build you know 5'9 170 you can get by in college on that with speed and quickness and but it's tough to carry that frame into the NFL because there's guys just as fast as you that weigh 50 60 pounds heavier and you know it's just the laws of physics but the fact is they moved him over to wide receiver and I think that was a good move because I don't know if he's a guy who could take a lot of pounding out of the backfield And then the final piece of personnel news, Dan Godsell retired. I don't know the story behind that. Obviously a backup long snapper doesn't have much roster implication. It just means that we're going to have our boy Clark Harris back for at least this year and hopefully a couple years beyond. So I always like to review the Joe Burrow press conferences. 
You know, you get valuable information. He's real about it. He just doesn't say all the formula lines. So a few takeaways from this. He said he feels great. He says every part of his body feels better than ever, and he feels like he's throwing and playing better than ever, except for the knee. But the reality is he has almost three months of rehab left before the season starts, so he can make a lot of progress on that knee, and hopefully he goes into the season with every part of his body feeling better than ever. I'm, I'm pretty optimistic at this point, based on what we've seen on the field from him already, and based on what everyone's saying, and based on how he's saying he feels. It's, it's a reason to feel good about going into this year. This isn't going to be a throwaway year for Joe Burrow. This is going to be a year of growth, and you know hopefully that win total doubles from last year, and maybe even beyond that. And one of the things, you know, they asked him what he's working on improving, and there's always things to improve with your game, but I thought his answer to this was also right on target. He's working on his checkdowns and how to get out of bad plays. You know, you come into the line and you have a play or two called, and now you see a defense that totally is in line to mess up those two plays you have called. The intelligence and the quickness to be able to get out of that play, get into a better play, and defeat a defense that kind of had you beat. So those are like really higher level things to be thinking about. He's thinking about big picture things. You know, how do I prevent a bad play from happening? How do I turn what the defense has as an advantage during us lining up to now a disadvantage because I called a play that defeated the look that they gave us? So very encouraging stuff. I I just can't wait to see his career develop and these things that we're all talking about and analyzing. I can't wait to see them in action on the field. And then Joe talked about the camaraderie with the team and the locker room vibe, how it's not like the offense versus the defense. It's like everybody's friends. Everyone has a common goal. Everyone seems really enthusiastic about getting better. And then you also see the camaraderie between Joe Burrow and Chase, which is going to be big for this year and moving forward with those two guys, because I feel that they're both going to be here for a very long time. And you can see they were joking around on the field. There's some social media video of Joe Burrow kind of busting Chase's chops because he he didn't handle one of the hard throws. You know, that's fun stuff. I'm glad that they're, you know, they have that looseness about them when they're on the field. I mean, they're all business, but the fact that they can joke around like that makes it more human and it makes better relationships with people in general. And what he said about Jamar Chase, which I thought was very encouraging for this season, is the smoothness factor, and he makes all the routes look the same for the first 10 yards, and then he breaks it off, and you don't know what he's doing. And that's the key to it. Experienced defensive backs can read your tells. Maybe it's the way you're leaning. Maybe it's your first move. Maybe it's your eyes. Maybe, you know, it's just tendencies. And if you can disguise things where... There are no tendencies obvious until the last second. That's very hard to defend. It's like a pitcher. You know, if a pitcher you see is throwing the curveball, now you're expecting the curveball. But if every wind-up, every delivery looks the same, it's very hard to catch up to that because you don't know what to expect. Same thing on the field here. So you have this world-class athlete running at you with all the skill in the world, and you just don't know if he's going in, he's going out, he's going long, or he's stopping. Very big advantage. I'm glad that you're seeing that out of a rookie right away. I mean, those are the things that take some experience in the league to develop, and it looks like he's getting that skill right away. So very, very encouraging, and I'm glad that Joe Burrow drew attention to that. And the last thing from the press conference was when Joe talked about leadership. I'm not going to lie. I know I keep going off on how much I like Joe Burrow, but it's just he's like a different breed. He's 24 years old. I know, you know, that's you're old enough to know the world without a doubt. But just the wisdom that he's showing at such a young age is amazing. I, it's just, I'm, I'm so impressed. He said he doesn't try to be a leader. He just tries to be himself. A couple other things that he mentioned about leadership. He doesn't want to be a rah-rah guy that's yelling at people all the time. Because when you do that, 
your messages start getting lost because everything sounds urgent. But if you kind of pick your opportunities and you're not always the yelling guy, but then there's a point where you really do say something with conviction, people are going to listen to you more. And Joe gets that. And it's a natural thing. And also, what he, he said that the people that try to be leaders are often not the best leaders. You're kind of born with it. And that is true. When you try too hard to be accepted, sometimes it's not natural. And it doesn't come across right. But if you just do your thing and lead by example and and have a charismatic personality without trying to be charismatic, those are the true leaders. And if you look at the great leaders in sports and in the world and through history, that's a common tree. And, and our guys got it. And then the last thing that encouraged me from the press conference, he simply said, in regards to Higgins, T's going to have a big year. You got to love that. Roster analysis. So even though it's kind of the lean times for football news, not a lot of stuff going on, there always seems to be stuff to talk about about the Bengals and, you know, our favorite teams, which is good. I thought it would be interesting in this episode to review the most interesting storylines at each position group. Quarterback. The most interesting storyline would be the health of Joe Burrow. And also, if something happens to Burrow, we want to see, you know, can Brandon Allen be the backup or are they going to go out and get someone another veteran you know right before the season starts or right before training camp running back we're going to be looking at the difference that Joe Mixon makes when he comes back you know you kind of forget about a player when he misses most of the year but we have a a real heavy duty running back there who's going to contribute and if he stays healthy this year that's going to be a big difference maker for us so that's going to be interesting to watch And then the other running back story to watch is going to be Travion Williams versus Chris Evans, who's going to get that third down back role. You know, right now it looks a little up in the air. They were very high on Chris Evans in training camp. You didn't hear much about Travion. I know he was a little banged up early on. So we're going to see how that develops. I'm I'm pulling for both of them and expect whoever doesn't get that third running back spot to be on the practice squad or somewhere. I I don't think either one of these guys is leaving the building. Wide receiver. I mean, we're just going to watch these three guys, these three who are appearing to be interchangeable receivers. It's just going to be a pleasure to be watching these guys as the season goes. And then I guess the other thing to think about would be the health of Jamar Chase. And there's no health issues with him. Believe me, he's 100% healthy. He's a horse. So it's not like I'm predicting any injuries for him. The only thing is I just wanted to draw our attention back to the bad luck that we've had with these first-round picks. And it doesn't mean... Just because you've had this bad history, it doesn't mean that the new guy is is destined for that history. It's a new player. I always hated when they talk about, well, the Bengals are four and fifteen when they play Thursday night games on the road in snow. You know, whatever that, whatever stat you want to fill in there. It's like, well, that was that team. You know, that was the team from three years ago. That's a totally different team, a totally different set of circumstances for this year. I know in the gambling world, you always go to the case history and, and the likelihood, but you think about it. It's, it's like, and I'm not trying to get all scientific, but it's like flipping a coin. You think, well, you know, heads came out three times in a row, so it's got to be tails, right? No, it's every time you flip the coin, it's going to be either heads or tails. It's equal chance of them coming out. So same thing with these historical things. Like, is Chase going to get hurt just because every other guy before him did? I don't think so. But, you know, when you think about the bad luck, I just wanted to go over that because it's kind of, it's... It's just crazy bad luck. So in 2015, it was Ogbuehi. They drafted him when he was injured. So, you know, there's a guy with a knee. First-round pick, did not contribute rookie year. 2016, William Jackson. I think it was a peck or a shoulder. Missed his whole rookie year. 17, John Ross. Came in again with the shoulder. 
Billy Price, he came in injured, and then he injured his foot in like the first game or two, so he had a, a troublesome injury-filled rookie year as well. We all know Jonah's season was wiped out before he started as a rookie, and then obviously Joe Burrow had a very productive season for nine and a half games, and then his season was ended. It's just something to draw attention to, and it does not mean it's going to happen now, as I said, but it's just crazy bad luck how we've had this consecutive run of first-round picks that did not contribute in their rookie year. All right, and then on to tight end. I think it's going to be fun to watch C.J. Uzama back in the lineup, see how Sample develops. But I think the real story that's interesting me, I want to see if Thaddeus Moss makes the team. You know, I'm hoping. I, I'm pulling for him. Randy Moss's kid played with Joe Burrow at LSU, a pass-catching tight end at a spot where we kind of need that. So that's going to be an interesting storyline to watch this offseason as well. Offensive line, the main stories there are, are going to be how much can Frank Pollock develop these raw offensive linemen and you know can he get this into a cohesive unit and then Jackson Carmen converting him from tackle to guard a rookie uh, some might say a reach I you know take it for what you will he's a big piece if if he turns into a perennial starter that's a big win if he struggles you know now we're looking at interior lineman problems again defensive line is going to be really the pass rush I'm, I feel good about the interior of the line and you're just wondering, can Trey Hendrickson get double-digit sacks? Is Sam Hubbard going to turn into more of, of a pass rusher as he was early in his career as opposed to more of a run stuffer, which he was last year? Linebacker, I would say the most interesting thing is going to be the progress of those three second-year players. You know, you have Wilson, Davis Gaither, Marcus Bailey. They're high on all of them. They didn't grab any big-time free agent linebackers. They didn't draft any linebackers, so... They're saying, we drafted three guys last year. We believe in those three. And as fans and as analysts, we're going to sit here and say, let's hope it works out. Then as far as the defensive backs goes, safeties, I don't think there's any real issues there. I think that's going to be a really solid, excelling group. Corner looks like it has the same possibilities. We want to see how Awuzie does in a Bengals uniform. We want to see if Trey Waynes gets back to form. We want to see, you know, is, is Eli Apple going to work out? Um, obviously, we know Hilton's going to be a great player for us. How's Darius Phillips going to fit into the mix? So, you know, there's a lot to think about as far as the cornerbacks on the team this year. And then lastly, special teams. I guess the big thing is that punt returner battle. You know, is it going to be Puka Williams? Is it going to be Trent Taylor? Is Darius Phillips going to get in there? Remember, Darius Phillips is an explosive returner. It's just a question of, is he reliable catching the ball? And again, you like to see, I know Adam Jones was a great returner. You almost like to see offensive guys as your punt returners because they're known for having better hands than defensive guys. I hope it doesn't hurt Phillips. I'm rooting for all three of these guys. Let's just get the best one out of that group to be the returner, and hopefully they have not just a season of being able to catch the ball, but a season of being able to create after the catch and put us in good field position. And then we want to see how the rookie works out kicking. Yeah, that's going to be a big story. Let's see how he, you know, he hasn't had a lot of pressure kicks. He hasn't had a lot of cold weather kicks. Well, those are things to watch. And then they're really high on the undrafted punter from Ohio State, Drew Chrisman. They're thinking, you know, he's going to give Huber a little bit of a battle. But again, and they talked about this on the Bengals website, it's, it's not just being a great punter. You have to be a big time holder. And, you know, Huber is very, very solid at that. So I don't know if Huber's going to get unseated this year. But I think maybe if if Chrisman keeps kicking like that, you keep him on the roster somewhere, and eventually he is the guy who replaces Huber. And now, you know, you come in maybe two, three years from now, and you have McPherson and Chrisman, and you got two young special team punter kickers that could be there for a long time. 
So there it is. You know, obviously these stories are going to change based on injuries, if they pick up anybody, you know, other circumstances that happen. But right now, those are my biggest questions about each, each position group, and it's going to be fun to watch it as it develops. The Unofficial Bengals Podcast would like to welcome Westside Hude. All right, I want to welcome a good friend of mine from Instagram, a Bengals superfan, and an expert on all things Bengals, Westside Hude. Westside, how are you today, man? Oh, I'm good, Frank. Happy to be here. Oh, it's great to have you on. You know what? Let's get right down to business. One of the things that I guess led us to become friends in the beginning was sharing our pages and me checking out your stuff. And one of the unique things that I found about your page is you don't just talk about the new stuff. You go back in history and, you know, you bring up a lot of a lot of forgotten players and forgotten moments. It's really entertaining. What gave you the idea to have an Instagram page that covered the whole span of the Bengals? Um, I started off on Facebook and it was like Bengals Facebook groups and I realized that a lot of our fan base does not know our history. Like they listen to, you know, the media and what they said about us in the nineties and the early two thousands and it's like if you really do your research, we come from like rich history. Like so many football firsts or like so many football greats have like walked through, you know, our team and like I felt like the people really needed to be reminded of that. On top of the fact that we two, you know, we have two guys named Kenny that belong in the hall. I love it, and you know, you're you're helping their cause by by posting all these all these highlights, and you are bringing the new generation of fans, you know, back a little bit and and showing them the rich history. So, yeah, it's it's one of the unique things about your page, and and definitely entertaining. And I even, you know, there's stuff I forgot, and then when I check out your page, I'm like, oh my god, I remember that moment. How did you become a Bengals fan? It's, it's kind of a two-part process because my first Bengals memory in my life was playing, you know, Tecmo. I'm sure you remember Tecmo if you're as old as I am. And a guy came over and he was just like, yeah, let's play Tecmo. Like, who are you going to play with? So I was like, oh, I'm going to play with the Tigers. And he's like, oh, you mean the Bengals? And I'm like, no, there's Tiger stripes on the helmets. Those are the Tigers. I mean, I was so little I couldn't read. So, like, just they always stuck out to me because of how cool the stripes was. And, you know, fast forward a couple years later, I moved to Georgia with my dad and that became my connection with my hometown that I had to move away from. And, you know, I just got into the team super hard because it made me still feel like I was at home. Something about the colors that always appealed to me too. And even to this day when, you know, if I'm watching NFL Network and there's like a highlight and you see like a Bengal uniform, it just, it always just gives me a charge till this day. So I totally hear what you're saying about that. The other thing I noticed about your social media account is you have a lot of cool memorabilia and stuff about the Bengals. Do you want to talk a little bit about your collection and maybe some of your favorite things in the collection? My favorite thing is jackets. If you like look on the page, I'm always posting the jacket that Sam Weiss had on, or I'm posting the jacket that Boomer had on on the sideline. So the satin jackets are my favorite, but I'm obsessed with everything from the like 88 run because of the quarantine i like watched every 88 playoff game and that team was just special so like i've been trying to find all the t-shirts that i can i'm still looking for the white hat you know that with the afc championship like that's the first step to the super bowl so i'm just i cannot wait until we get back to the afc championship game yeah and i'm hoping with burrow that we're not far away from this you know i mean a lot of people would argue that it's not going to be this year but you know I'm an optimist. I'm thinking within the next couple of years, we're going to be making a dent in the AFC and hopefully beyond. I mean, people got to remember, if a Bengals quarterback 
wins MVP, we go to the Super Bowl. It's a, it, it's it's facts. Like you gotta just you know, and we have a starting quality quarterback that can do that. Yeah, and you know what? I I we had talked about maybe coming up with a few trivia questions for the Bengals fans out there, and I know that you had something interesting about the quarterbacks. Do you want to go into that? Okay, I was trying to think of something, you know, something that everybody isn't, you know, doing as far as, like, everybody does yards or something like that. But I've seen something interesting. There's only been three other times that a team has had two MVP quarterbacks in the same decade. The Colts had it in the 60s with Johnny Unitas and Earl Morrell. The Bengals did it in 81 and 88 with Kenny and Boomer. And the Niners did it in the 90s with Joe Montana in 90 and Young won in 92 and 94. That's... So, you know, everybody talks that, oh, Cincinnati's a quarterback graveyard. He'll kill Burrow, but it's like the proof is there. I mean, I'm not really too familiar with Earl Morrell, but I know Johnny Unitas and I know Joe Montana and Steve Young, and that's pretty great company to be in. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, that that's pretty cool that the Bengals are actually on that list with just a few. Um, what, do you, what are your thoughts? You know, before we go into other stuff historically, what are your thoughts on, on the current team and how things are coming together this offseason? I really feel like with the current team, if they can just get the passing game going enough and then just let Joe Mixon do what we pay Joe Mixon to do, I don't really see how anybody can really, like, compete with us offensively. Now, defense, you know, that remains to be seen because we got a lot of new pieces, but that offense is scary. It's going to be fun to watch. Even with decent offensive line play, there are so many weapons that, you know, if the line plays decently, we're, we're going to be – you know, putting up 25-plus points a game, I'm feeling. Like, if we can just even get the line to be, like, middle of the road, like, number 15 or 16 in the league, like, because who do you, like, who do you double? And if you don't double anybody, then, you know, Mixon can run crazy, and Mixon can actually get out there in the passing game, and we got a couple gadget players that can maybe develop, like a Puka Williams or someone like that. Like, just whoever's open, you get them the ball. A lot of Bengals, Bengals fans are feeling the same way. I mean, you know, you, you look at the wide receiving core, you look at our quarterback, you look at the running backs. We have we have enough. Even P. Ryan can get in there and do some damage. You know, we'll see what happens at tight end. You know, hopefully Uzama comes back to form, sample grows a little bit, and maybe Moss turns into something too. What was your favorite offseason acquisition that we had this year? For me, it was probably either a Wuzier or Larry Ogunjobi. I remember watching a lot of Cowboy games because of Dalton, obviously. And I was like, wow, this uh, Wuzier kid is not bad. Like, if he went out in free agency, I wouldn't mind picking him up. And, you know, Larry Ogunjobi, if you use him properly with the way we got, you know, Shelvin and Reader and the ends that we got, like, he could probably really eat in the middle. 100%. And I agree. I was happy with both of those pickups. Aside from the Jamar Chase draft choice, what what's your favorite draft pick from this year? I would have to say Carmen, because with the size that he has and, you know, moving him inside the guard, I don't really see how, you know, he could be a bad pickup, especially with a veteran player to his right, because he's going to the right, I believe. With a veteran player to his right, like, I don't see how he can, you know, with that size. Yeah, right, and he was he was locking down the blind side for Lawrence last year, so, I mean, you know, if he can continue that play, I mean, hopefully the move to guard inside doesn't mess with him too much, but... You know, if all goes well, that's going to be a dynamite pickup. Yeah, I think so. All right, so let's do this. What about, if you can, give me some of your favorite players, since you've touched on a lot of Bengals history. I want to hear about some of the players from 88, too. But in general, who who have been some of your favorite players through the Bengals' history? 
favorite players through history, I would have to say Rudy Johnson is probably one of my top guys because I just love that physical, like, run straight, run you over, like, you're going to feel it in the morning running style. Willie Anderson is – I'm really big on Willie Anderson. Boomer is my favorite quarterback, if not all time, definitely with the Bengals. I've always liked left-handed quarterbacks. Defensively, I've always liked Torrey James, like Delta O'Neal. I'm a big uh, secondary guy. And, you know, guys who get interceptions have always been, you know, a lot of my favorite players. You know, when we corresponded, I was always feeling like you were a running back guy and a defensive back guy. And, uh, I mean, Rudy Johnson delivered back then. He kind of came out of nowhere. He was in a roster battle with Curtis Keaton back then, I think. And, you know, he won it and just took over for Corey Dillon and really was magical for this franchise. I mean, like, and he's one of those guys that people forget for some reason because he was getting, like, 1,400 yards and, like, 10-plus touchdowns. Like, he was a, he was a dog. Oh, yeah, he had, like, three years of consistently doing that. And, yeah, I, maybe it's the era that he played in. Maybe it's just having the name Rudy Johnson. It's kind of a plain name. It doesn't stick out as much. I don't know, but he is one of the great Bengal running backs, without a doubt. And I like the fact that you mentioned Torrey James and Delta O'Neal. Those were some good secondaries back then. I, I don't even know. Maybe you go back as far as Ashley Ambrose and, and Jimmy Spencer, too. Those were. I remember uh, Ambrose and Spencer, I do. Those were, like, the two that came before the... James O'Neill that still were able to lock it down. I, we've gotten lucky. You know, think about it since then. We've had Jonathan Joseph, Leon Hall, and of course, one of your favorites in mine, Adam Jones. Yeah, it's a little Pac-Man. Yeah, so it's it's been, you know, now that we're talking, it's been a pretty rich history of good corners. I mean, go back to Ken Riley and Lamar Parrish. You know, go back to Eric Thomas in 88. There's been a lot through our history, and, you know, hopefully that continues with Awuzier. I do like the pickup as well. Do you think he's going to be an improvement over William Jackson, same level, or a couple of? What, what's your opinion on that comparison? I think he could at least be equal to William Jackson, if not better. But I don't think he would be worse because, I mean, the thing about Jackson, Jackson was a really good corner, but he just, that double move used to get him. And that one interception a year just never really sat right with me. That's why I always feel like he robbed Washington because he's literally going to get paid all that money to get one interception a year. I mean, he might get a little more now that they have such a crazy defensive line, but he's not really a ball hawk. You're right, and we saw those lapses on the double move. And, you know, there was, there was something about him. When he, when he came out, he was injured his first year, as we know. That second year, they were predicting that he was going to be one of the next great corners in the NFL. And then I don't know if if he was just played above his head or the league caught up to him, but, you know, he kind of turned into a, you know, a solid middle-of-the-road corner, but not what we thought we were getting with a first-round pick. Yeah, that first that first year he really played, like that year when he put the clamps on um, Antonio Brown when he played Pittsburgh, like that was a special year, but, you know, that was pretty much the height of his whole run. Yeah, I know. A lot of people say sophomore slump. In his case, it was... You know, sophomore year was was your career year, I guess. Um, let's you know, let's talk a little bit about the running backs now that we we got on that. Corey Dillon is my favorite running back of all time. I know Rudy Johnson is yours. What other running backs through their history, you know, caught your eye from watching all the film that you've watched? Got to be James Brooks. James Brooks was the Swiss Army knife. He was like, you know, he could line out and run like a you know, a deep pattern or he could run something, you know, quick out the backfield and he was small, but he could like lay the wood. Like if you tried to tackle James Brooks as small as he was, he would lay the thump if you weren't prepared. I love it. You know, Geo had a little element of that too. I mean, not as much as Brooks, but 
a similar type back. Gio was one of my favorite players because when I when we first got him, my uncle was like, yeah, he's the new James Brooks. And I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, he's the new James Brooks. Like, they're kind of like the same, like, you know, model type of player. And ever since then, like, I was the Gio guy. And he gave us a lot of good years. How did you feel about recently, you know, seeing Dalton go green, Gio, Dunlap, Atkins, like seeing, you know, the whole face of our five playoff runs just be gone within a year or two. How, how did that how did that sit with you? What what are your thoughts on that? I'm not gonna lie, I was upset about it at first. But you just kinda gotta understand that things have to change in order to get better sometimes. But I'm not gonna lie, like the Dunlap thing was, was real personal for me because it's like this guy is like right on the line of breaking the record. I'm not sure if he I don't think he broke it, right? No, he came just short. So it was just like, and you know, I wanted to see him make possibly get a hundred. I wanted to see Gino possibly get a hundred. You know, I wanted Green to break all of like Chad's records. Like, you know, you get so close, and it's like, you know, it just didn't work out. Yeah, and and you're right. I mean, it is kind of the changing of the guard. All the players that I named are getting up there in years, and you know, if you're not getting deep into the playoffs with with the roster of guys that you have, you you know, I guess you do have to make some changes. What do you think of the new uniforms? At first, I did not like them because I wanted them to be, like, I just wanted with Boomer War and Eggs. I wanted a cleaner, updated version of that. But the more you really sit on it, like, it's a really nice uniform. Like, they did everything we asked them to. They got rid of the stripe. They got rid of the, like, extra busyness on the um, on the shoulders. Like, they cleaned it up real nice. Um, so you're in Georgia right now? You're, that's... No, I live in California now. Oh, Wow. Cincinnati to Georgia to California, I love it. That's where the that's where the West Side comes from. It just literally means Bengal fan in California. Now I know. I thought you were just from the West Side of Cincinnati. Actually, I lived on the West Side of Cincinnati too, so it's, it's funny. But yeah, have you been to any Cincinnati Bengals games? Or if if so, or if not, do you plan on attending any in the next year or so? I've been to three, and my record is two and one. The best game I went to was Carson Palmer's return, the one when Big Wit got ejected because they late hit Andy and he fought two uh, Raider defensive linemen by himself. Like, that's honestly what our offensive line is missing. We need that guy to where if you even so much as breathe on Joe Burrow wrong, he might smack you. I'm not sure we have that guy yet. I, I mean, hopefully I maybe I Jonah grows into that, but that's really not Jonah's mentality. Maybe Riley Reef is that. I don't know. Maybe Jackson Carmen comes in with, with that kind of pride and – but I remember that game with Whitworth, too. Yeah, he, he went off. He got fined. I know Whitworth's wife was mad at him afterwards. Like, you got into a fight and cost us 25000 But it. W- I mean, but it's like your quarterback is – he is your franchise. And if you're not going to act like that about him, who will? Remember the game against the Dolphins this year, too, where we had that brawl after, after uh, Mike yeah. Thomas nailed the guy on the punt return. It was pretty weird, and I don't want to keep knocking on the offensive line, but there, there's some footage out there of the offensive line just sitting on the bench while the whole... Yeah, I've seen it. I know, and that's so disturbing. That goes really against what you just said about having those linemen that'll you know that'll go to the grave for your quarterback. I mean, because that's what they get paid to do, essentially. 100%. Like, that's the job, to protect the quarterback, and that's at all times. I don't, even if it's you know the whistle blew, you still got to look out for it. A hundred percent, and that gets a team jacked up when you rally together like that. You know, if yeah. you know when you when you're starting to brawl because they they messed with your quarterback, you know it kind of it kind of gets everybody hyped up and everybody in the same corner. So yeah, I hear you. We, 
Hopefully we have an, another guy that can come in and do that. I would say defensively, the one guy in recent memory that was that was Vontez Perfect. What are your thoughts on him and his career? I've always thought it was sad how he just never really got to live up to his fullest potential. He gives me the same kind of feelings as like Odell Thurman, like what could have been. You know, you remember Odell? And it's like, Odell could have, I thought he was going to be one of the best to ever like put the stripes on at that position. But, you know, he had that one great year and he was gone. Odell Thurman was one of the names I was going to ask you when we do our word association. It's ironic that you brought him up. And he did. He had those five interceptions and five sacks as a rookie, looking like he was going to be the answer. And then, you know, he had the, you know, the substance abuse problems that kind of took him out. And I agree with you about Vontez. I, I think um, sometimes his his head got ahead of him. You know, he'd, he'd get a little crazy on the field. And sometimes you need that. But I think it led to him not being elected to Pro Bowls and, you know, having a target on his back. And, you know, he had a, a bunch of concussions. So... I, I hear what you're saying. I, I think he is, and this is going to sound crazy, I think he is the best linebacker in our history. But by the same token, I still think he could have been a lot better if not for all those other circumstances. Definitely. But, and then when you you know when you put it that way, if he played in Pittsburgh, he might be considered a legend already. You know what I mean? It's just, for some reason, we get the energy that we get from the league. Yeah, you know, and and it is true, and and I never even thought about that. If you put Perfect on the Steelers, you're talking about a guy being all pro. I, I agree with that. And you um, have a statue. Yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. And I mean, you know, they the Steelers did him dirty a couple times. I know that they were mad about the Antonio Brown hit, which to this day, I say was a matter of him just being so alert and so on top of the play as opposed to really trying to kill the guy. But, you know, I guess there's two sides to every story. But, I mean, you know, he got that cheap shot by Juju. DeCastro popped him once after the play. He, he had, I think the Steelers literally gave Vontez two to three concussions just themselves. And, you know, they, they add up quick. I, you know, I'm kind of worried about his long-term health due to what I saw on the field. Yeah. I don't know. You know, one of my favorites, just looking out for him, always a Bengal, you know. Another quick question. I know you've you've coined yourself Marvin Lewis's nephew, and I, I think I know the story behind it. But do you, I, I think it's pretty cool? And do you a want to talk about your thoughts on Marvin, and b talk about how the nickname came about? Okay, once again in the Facebook groups, when Marvin got fired, I kind of like made this joke, and I was just like, "Oh, you know, my uncle," because my actual name is Mario Lewis. So people all my life have kind of associated me with Marvin anyway, being a Bengals fan. So they're like, oh, how come y'all got, you know, similar names? So when I said, you know, my uncle fired or whatever, people saw my name and they really believed it. So everybody started telling me, oh, I'll tell your uncle thank you. And, you know, he was a great man. And, you know, so I just thought, I always thought it was funny. Oh, that's cool. And what, what did you think about Marvin when he was here? I loved Marvin. Because Marvin gave us a sense of pride. He gave us, you know, some structure. He, you know, he took us to the playoffs a bunch of times. And it got so bad to where when he stopped going to the playoffs, it's because we were used to going to the playoffs. And, like, that's a good problem to have. But I remember never going to the playoffs. So once you started going a bunch of times and, you know, you kind of like, but I thought it was time for him to leave, I do, because he kind of got, you know, complacent, I guess. I agree with all of those points. I mean, he he literally turned the Bengals around when he came here. Like everything, he got their, you know, their the facility was changed, the the players' diets, the schemes. They started pay attention to special teams finally, where they were really bad for a bunch of years. 
And, um, yeah, I mean, he took them to all those playoff runs. Unfortunately, they didn't get any further. And I don't know if that was due to Marvin Lewis. I, I could almost point to each one of those playoff losses and, and, you know, give a reason for it. But, you know, it all lies on him, unfortunately. But it, I don't think it was his fault that they didn't get further in the playoffs. And I, I wanted to thank him for his service. And, yes, I do agree, as much as a Marvin guy that I was, those last couple years, it, it felt like, you know, it just it felt... Time. Yeah, yeah, that, there's no better way to put it than that. You're right. I will say this, though. I do believe he gets a rap that he does not deserve, just like Mike Brown gets a rap that he doesn't deserve. Because if you really look, they had two different rosters with two different quarterbacks that potentially could have made deep playoff runs that were cut short due to injury. You had 05 and you had 2015. Now, you can sit here and say Mike Brown is this and that and the third, but like I said, he had two different teams with two different quarterbacks that could have made deep runs that were cut short due to injury. Yeah, and it's something that you can't shake. Like in the case of Mr. Brown, he has spent a lot of money, but everyone just goes on the old narrative of the Bengals that they're cheap. And I mean, there was a time where they were, but it's just like he wasn't able to ever shake that. And he does want to win, and he does want to keep it in the family, which I respect too. I don't think our lack of success has been due to Mr. Brown or Marvin Lewis for that matter. So yeah, again, we're on the same page with this stuff. And, you know, he gets a bad rap. What do you think of the job that... Mr. Tobin's been doing. Honestly, like, I don't really get why people hate Duke so much either because all of your favorites that you love, he had a hand in bringing them here. Your Chads, you know what I'm saying? Your Carsons, your Rudys, whoever you like. Like, he's the guy in charge. So you can sit here and, you know, be upset that we haven't had the success that we've had, but we've had a lot of great players come through here under his tenure. Every team is going to have hits and misses. You know, like, a lot of people get on him for the Ogbwehi Jake Fisher draft, you know, where they took one and two and neither guy worked out. But when you think about it, they were trying to fix the line. And what better way than get a first round tackle and a second round tackle? Yeah. It, it didn't work out. Maybe it was the wrong guys, but you know, he he of course has the bullseye on him for that. I guess he has the bullseye for Billy Price and, you know, a couple other things. But truthfully, and I'm not just saying this to gain favor with the organization, I like the job that Mr. Tobin's been doing over the last you know, what, 10, 12 years, however long he's been doing it. I mean, like like I said, like, he he's had a, you know, a big hand in getting a lot of guys in here. So, it's like, you can't blame him for the bad guys but not give him credit for the good ones. And every GM has those hits and misses, you know, no matter what organization you're in. I mean, look at the Patriots. You know, I know they're so successful and you can't argue with that, but... You know, how many first-round busts have they had over the last decade? You know, it's, it's been yeah, a lot. Yeah, I've seen something where they were saying they haven't drafted a pro bowler in quite some time. But the draft is such a crapshoot, and I think people forget that. I've always been a fan of the way the Rams operate, where they're like, we'll give you our first-round pick for a guy that we know can come in and do what we need him to do. Yeah, and, and I agree. I think a lot of teams put so much emphasis on draft capital, as they call it. And in reality... You're right. What's what are the odds that a first round pick works out? I don't I don't have the stats in front of me, but maybe fifty percent that the guy turns into a legitimate starter. Maybe a little higher than that. But to get a guy who's been in the league for you know even like a Whitworth say or a, a Jalen Ramsey, you know a guy who's been in the league that has performed, that's a guaranteed commodity as opposed to a draft choice. No matter how high you, it's just not certain that they're going to work out. It's like how Tennessee just got Julio, like. I mean, they gave up a second-round pick, but it's like, what's the chances of you taking a guy in the second round and he's Julio Jones? 
Exactly. And I'm surprised that some of these players go for such low things. You know, like, what, they got a second and a fourth or so. Who cares about the fourth? The odds on getting a star there are rare. Second round, oh, yeah. I mean, maybe you get a Joe Mixon. Maybe you get a Chad Johnson. But maybe you get a guy that just doesn't work out in the second round. A hundred percent. Like, Julio Jones is will be more productive than any second rounder that you're going to grab in the draft. Uh, that's That's my opinion on that. And that's even if he lost a step. Julio Jones losing a step is still better than probably 80-something percent wide receivers. Agreed. And then uh, there's a, if, if wide receiver was their target, it's there's a learning curve with receivers. You know, some guys come in and do good, and, and we're seeing that in more recent years, you know, with, with Higgins and Jefferson, you know, guys getting it right away. But yeah. with, with Julio, you got a guy that, you know, tomorrow, as long as he's healthy, tomorrow the guy could, you know, put up 150 yards and two tees. And then you got the other guy on the other side. You got the running back in the back. Like, you know, spread it around. And, t- and that's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that we can actually be in that same type of conversation because we have an offense that's even built better because we have a third guy. Like, you keep looking on the Internet, and it's like, who's the best, you know, receiver duo? And it's like, y'all can have the duos because we got three of them. And it's true. Every one of those guys. I mean, we're assuming that Chase comes in and does what he did in college, which I think is a fair bet. But, I mean, Higgins had a monster rookie year. And that Boyd-Burrow connection is way bigger than a lot of people think. I mean, I, I watched them very closely. And Agreed. he was finding Boyd all the time before he before Burrow got injured. And I was like, wow, Boyd is going to be a pro bowler. He's going to have like 1,200 yards. And obviously that got cut a little bit short. But, yeah, don't don't sleep on him. And, he, and he's not an old guy either. So we could have these three wide receivers you know, if we do for it right, quite some time. I'm right. hoping for a decade. I mean, maybe a decade for Boyd might be a little long, but all yeah. you would have to really do is win a couple championships, and guys are not going to want to go anywhere. I know, and then you get other guys that want to come in, and I think that's been the Burrow effect as well. When you, when they have a quarterback like that, it's more attractive to free agents coming in, even though they've only been going for defensive free agents. I still think but that's the best part, though, because it's like your quarterback is so special that defenders want to come play with him. All right, let's do this. Let's end with some word association. I'm going to give you a name of a Bengal. You say the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. Carl Pickens. Elite. Yeah, he was he was a savior back then. Joe Burrow. Savior. Eddie Brown. Underrated, underappreciated. David Fulcher. Is that a linebacker or a safety? Carson Palmer. Missed opportunity. Tyler Eifert. Favorite tight end. Jeremy Hill. Who? Thank you. Leon Hall. Michigan man. Peter Warwick. Ahead of his time. Here's here's an old one for you, since you're a historian. What about Greg Cook? Quarterback history. People forget that we have such a rich quarterback history, and he's he's in there. What about Kajana Carter? Missed opportunity. So true. I saw that preseason game where he got hurt, too. You know, like, we picked him first overall. We thought we had our our Emmett Smith, basically. And rightfully so. That's what he should have been. But, you know, like you said, back then, the surgeries and all that, you know, that kind of stuff. It's so true. And he he was the same size as Emmett Smith, like that 5'10", like... 220, 230, like a pretty heavy-duty back. And, um, I've seen some games, and he showed flashes even after that, you know? 
Yeah, but then he just kept getting hurt. The one year they used him successfully at the goal line, where he was just like goal line back, and he would just run that outside sweep and get to the pylon before they got him. And I think he had like 10 touchdowns that year. And going back to his injury, it's pretty crazy because I, I remember the play, and it was preseason like we all know. But it was Richie Bram, who ended up being a great Bengal center, but he was playing guard at the time, and it was his first year, and Robert Porsche just lit him up, and that's who hit Kajana in the backfield. You know, for years, I loosely blamed Bram for the injury, but you really can't do that. And he ended up having a great career for us. It's just, I mean, when you think of those two guys, if someone said Kajana Carter or Rich Bram, who's going to have the big impact? Everyone would say Carter, but obviously, you know, Bram had a much more... Solid. I seen an uh, interview where Big Willie said he's one of the smartest players he's ever played with, Richie Brown. Yeah, it makes sense. You know, and he, and he was in there at center for years and very productive. But th- that's enough about Rich Brown. Let me give you one last one. What if, since you're a defensive back guy, there's one guy that we all know, but very few of the new Bengal fans have seen him play, and he was just electric. What do you think of Lamar Parrish? Lamar Parrish was... Was, was crazy because he played on the other side of a guy who was elite in his own right. So, like, we had a one-two combo like no other. I, I would say touchdown. That would be the word. Defensive touchdown. There it is. Return yeah. touchdown. I think, he, I think he had 10 in his career, if I'm not mistaken, of returns and interception returns. It might even be a little bit more than that. I got to get my stats in front of me. I'm doing. I do most of this stuff from memory. And you know what? It, too, he gave that defense a little swagger to it. You know, they called him like Dion before Dion. And when before you, Dion, yeah. When you have guys, when you have a guy that good at making plays and that flashy and that confident, it gets everybody around him playing well as as well. I mean, we've been talking for 35 minutes. I could talk to you for four hours about this stuff. But um, how do people find you on social media? Oh, you can find me on uh, Westside Hude on Twitter and on Instagram. You can also go to westsidehude.com. You know, I'm going to have some shirts and stuff coming. I only got one shirt right now, and I got some stickers on there, but I got some more stuff coming. It's only a matter of time before you're working for the Bengals organization, my friend. Honestly, one of my goals is I want to I wanna do, like, this vintage collection where we pull out some of that stuff out the archives, like some of those polos that Dave Shula used to wear and, you know, Keep doing what you're doing, man. It's so enjoyable to witness. Thanks again for coming on, Westside. I appreciate you. That'll do it for this episode. Next episode, we'll continue to review the Bengals' offseason and roster and everything that's going on, and we're going to have Sands and Tom McLeavy back for next episode as well. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music, definitely something you should check out. Thank you for listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The unofficial Bengals podcast.